everybody. This is Mark Graven from Kinexus, and welcome to our webinar. It's a COVID-19 quiz. It's going to be an interactive way to test your knowledge or, or to learn more um, about what we're facing um, with COVID-19 and how to keep um, ourselves and others safe. Quick disclaimer, um, not written by lawyers, but um, None of this content should be considered specific medical advice. If you have questions about your own health or your own situation, please call your doctor. This quiz was created with input from two physicians, and the content is believed to be true, given current science and situations as of today, March 24th, 2020. A lot of this content was developed based off of the answers that were given in a webinar that we did last week. We call it Ask Docs Anything. So Greg Jacobson, Dr. Greg Jacobson, um, who is joining us today. And um, last week, he was also joined by Dr. Mason Malour. Um, if you weren't able to see this or, uh, you know, you can go listen to it in our podcast feed, search for the Kinexus podcast, or you can find it probably most easily on our Kinexus YouTube channel. So before we jump into the quiz show, I'd like to hand things over um, to Dr. Greg Jacobson for uh, a few remarks. Thanks so much, Mark. Uh, my name is Greg Jacobson. I'm the CEO, co-founder of Kinexus, but I'm really here today uh, to talk with you about the answers to these questions as my profession is being an emergency medicine doctor. And so we have really over the last two weeks taken a lot of our marketing efforts and a lot of my time has been devoted to public outreach and public education, trying to synthesize all of the information coming out, things seem to be changing uh, daily, sometimes hourly, and uh, certainly keeping up to date on the best things you can do for yourself personally, your family, and then your community. I think it's important that we all keep um, abreast of these things. And so that's that's kind of been our impetus for uh, focusing on this at Kinexus. And we'll do this until we think that um, we are not providing any, any new or uh, any new value. And I think What's been interesting, and, and I'll just kind of talk as if I'm talking to Mark, what's been interesting is that we're already starting to see some of the topics change. And, and in that vein, I want to let you know, we are going to, we plan on doing a um, ask parents anything here in the future, and where we're going to bring on some um, education experts and then some parents to ask questions on how they're handling these things as well. I think the big take home message from, from this week is uh, that it, it is still incredibly important to social distance or to physical distance people. The more that we can decrease the number of human interactions that we are having, the better we will um, fare these next uh, few weeks into months. What we're really trying to do is we're really trying to decrease the peak number of people that have COVID in any particular community at one time. And we're trying to get that, as people like to refer to it as flattening the curve, to get that curve less than the healthcare capacity of that area. We all know what's happening in places like um, New York and Washington and San Francisco, where especially New York, uh, our, our hearts and prayers go out to the folks there, where their healthcare facilities are being um, inundated with COVID patients. And the only way we can address this immediately is to prevent human interaction. And so I think that's going to be one of the biggest take-home messages. And, and um, without uh, you know spending too much more time on this, I want to throw this back to you, Mark, because I know we have, I think, was it 19 questions? It turned out to be 19. 
turned out to be 19 questions, which uh, you know, originally it was going to be like 20 questions, and then I miscounted, and uh, it's 19. I apologize if that's inappropriately cute, but I think we can get through 19 questions. So again, this first question is going to be a test question, practice question. Which word best describes you and how you're feeling at this moment? Are you anxious? You can answer now. Optimistic, healthy, bored, busy. Again, this is just to test the mechanics. Um, all of these are correct answers, by the way, on this first question. We hope people are doing well during these times. This turned out to be a bit of a survey. I, I understand I share your anxiety. Um, hopefully we can be optimistic if we're doing the right things to stay healthy and, and keep going. So great. So the I first we have real a, a lot, We have a lot more attendees oh. than people playing the game. So Greg, I got to read the questions. Social distancing or physical distancing means you should what? Never leave your house. Minimize your trips out that it's okay to go out in groups if it's less than 10, go out only when absolutely necessary. Greg, sorry about that. I had advanced it and there's one of our glitches of our first quiz show. Not a problem. So um, our correct answer was go out only when absolutely necessary. That sounds strict, but Greg, do you wanna say a little more about that? Yeah, so the concept here is that a virus can only live inside a human body. So as soon as the virus leaves the human body, then it starts to die. So the more we cannot interact with other people, then the more we can decrease the speed at which this virus uh, kind of goes through the your community, through our country, and through the world. And so the, the concept here when we're saying Physical distancing, I've really tried to say physical distancing because we can be social in lots of different ways other than being physical, is to realize that you may not feel sick, but you are actually shedding virus during a period of time when you have the disease, but you don't have symptoms. And so that's the idea between why you should do that. Um, I, I had a great uh, little picture that someone said sent to me that said, less clear, practice social distancing, more clear, stay at home, get groceries one, once per week. So really, if you don't have to leave your house or interact with people that you're not kind of self-isolating with, then that's the best thing to do. And I think minimize your trips out is probably the second best answer. But no I mean, I think it really is a question of, is it really necessary um, and Greg, can you elaborate a little bit more when you talk about shedding? This does not necessarily mean that we're coughing and, and spewing out droplets, does it? Or is that how the virus is shed? Yeah, I mean, certainly droplets seems to be the biggest way that the virus is shed. Um, we need to understand that every time you touch your face, you're putting droplets on your hands and then you're distributing those wherever you touch. There are There is some early data that the virus might stay around in the air for a few hours when you've been there. I have not heard of any data whatsoever that says you can get a transmission from just an airborne exposure. And looking at some of the Singapore data that's coming out um, where they were treating lots of people in healthcare facilities, it, um, it did not seem like if you, you know, walked into a room where someone had COVID and just breathed the air that they were breathing that you would get it. But you need to understand that when you cough and you sneeze, you are 
spraying droplets into the air pretty far and wide and, you know, six, 10 feet. Um, and those are going to stay in the air a bit. They don't immediately fall. And so um, hopefully that kind of helps clarify what you're asking there, Mark. Okay. Well, thank you. And um, again, you know, there, there are deeper answers in the uh, recording of the Ask Docs Anything. We've got a talk time of about two minutes here. So we will uh, go ahead and into our next question. Oh, okay. Well, so after every few questions, we are going to see a leaderboard after every three or four. So Eric M, good job. And thanks I to everybody who is playing. Second question. The most important reason for social distancing is what? Look at your phone for you to avoid getting the virus or to slow the spread of the virus to others. Go ahead and answer now on your phone or your device. I think our answers are in. We've got 20 seconds to answer each question. Maybe that was a little longer than we needed, but here we go. 19 people said, and this is what we think is the correct answer. Of course, we're concerned about not getting the virus ourselves, but Greg, if you want to share anything else more about the dynamic, um, you've already touched on this, of slowing the spread, flattening the curve. We've certainly oversimplified things with this question, and I think we're trying to just make a point that we recognize that the virus is out and what we're trying to do at this point is to slow the spread. Slowing the spread will decrease the maximum amount of the curve. It's not thought to decrease the number of people that ever get it. Having said that, if you are someone that's over the age of 60 that has comorbid conditions, diabetes, heart disease, heart failure, um, it'd be an immunocompromised state, if you are caring for those people as well, then it should definitely be on front of mind to do everything you can to not get this virus. But from a social perspective right now, what we're trying to do is to slow the spread of the virus. So I would probably, if this is a real serious test, this wouldn't have been a question on the test, but at least it, it lets us uh, talk a little bit about the concepts there. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Third question coming up. And answer it faster, you get more points. If you have any symptoms that concern you, it's best that you do what? Call your doctor? go to your doctor's office or go to the emergency room. And we have another question coming up. There might be a time and a place to do any of these things, but this is the broad question. If you have any symptoms that are concerning, what should you do first? Hey, I think Yay. everyone got the right answer here. So Greg, I don't know, Greg, maybe we don't need to add anything to add much, but what do you have to say? Well, I love that everyone just nailed this because we all realize that um, as soon as you go to your doctor's office or you go to the emergency department, not only are you, if you have the virus, shedding that virus and spreading it out in the community and everywhere you go and touch, but if you don't have the virus, you're exposing yourself to get it. And so we want you 100% to call your doctor. Right now, we have very limited testing in the community. Obviously, that's going to be different in a city-by-city -city basis. And um, at least in Austin, where I'm practicing, we are not testing anyone with mild disease. And so we have no treatment to give you. We have no testing to give you. So there's zero benefit in going outside your house with mild disease. So the best thing to do is call your doctor to figure out and confirm that you do, in fact, have mild disease if you have a question about it. All right. Thank you, Greg. Moving on. Next question. Which specific symptom should make you go to the emergency room? Going to the emergency room. High fever, 
shortness of breath, coughing, or diarrhea. And about 10 seconds until the boating closes. Kaizen opportunity is that we probably only needed about 15 seconds, not 20 seconds, but here we go. Answers, 14 of you have the correct answer, shortness of breath, um, but if you wanna elaborate on this, Greg. Certainly we could nuance all of these. I could give you a situation where you could have so much diarrhea that you could die from it, like cholera. You could have so much coughing you couldn't breathe. But the obvious answer here is shortness of breath seems to be the biggest symptom that we want to know about. Because if you're not oxygenating, you're not getting enough oxygen in your lungs to get into your body, that's when your body can start breaking down. And the easiest way for you to figure out if you're short of breath is if you can't catch your breath. So I've seen a number of patients, I was at an ER shift yesterday, saw a number of patients where they really, they complained that when I went upstairs, I got a little shorter breath. But when I was talking to them and looking at them, they were talking in complete sentences. They didn't have any um, obvious uh, respiratory distress. So to me, this would be, you know, if, especially if you're a young, healthy person, this is a situation where I'm sitting there, I can't catch my breath, or I'm having to break my sentences up. Certainly, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people with high fever um, here. Yes, uh, fevers of 106, 107, 108 start getting really dangerous. But you know, anything from 105 down on average is, is a fever that we can handle. So um, definitely shortness of breath is the one that I would be thinking about. It's the one I would call my doctor and a doctor on the phone or a nurse or a healthcare professional can, can learn a lot about your breathing just by talking to you on the phone. And then obviously doing a telemedicine, they can even learn that much more without having to touch you. So, Okay. Thank you for that, Greg. Next question. Oh, it's our leaderboard. Oh, it's changed. It has changed. Eric M. No, Craig. Okay, it's kind of plays around with you. Fascinating, like yeah. trivia. Craig is now uh, in, in first place. All right, moving on. Next question. Which of these is more effective for removing virus from your hands? Soap and water or hand sanitizer? The answers are going to come in pretty quickly. I wish I had some game show music to play. Like a match game. Yes, 20 of you said soap and water. So, Greg, if you can do a quick compare and contrast of what happens between hand sanitizer versus soap and water. Oof, um, you're making me go back into some basic science stuff. I will tell you on our resources page, if you go to the bottom, there is a great video where someone's explaining why soap and water is better. Soap and water um, washing for 20 seconds apparently will kill more of the virus and remove more of the virus. Uh, the hydrophobic nature of water and kind of going back to your organic chemistry days makes it where it works better. Obviously, hand sanitizer is more convenient. So if the answer was do nothing or use hand sanitizer, it's 100% hand sanitizer. But if you have access to soap and water, which most of us have a, almost an infinite amount of that, you should use soap and water over hand sanitizer. The, the one other thing that I've read about this, Greg, is that soap and water kind of tears the virus apart. It removes it from your hands, where hand sanitizer will kill it which means you have to be very, very careful in having full and complete coverage of your hands and not missing a spot. 
Where soap and water, I think it's hard, harder to miss a spot. Next question. True or false, you can make hand sanitizer at home with vodka and aloe gel. And I'm not talking about some special, I'm talking like 40% alcohol by volume, typical brand, different brands of vodka you would buy at the store. And you're only going out to buy it if it's completely necessary. Time's up. <laughs> wow. All right. Oh, wow. So the answer to this one is actually false. Greg, do you have? So my understanding is that kind of home vodka that you have in your liquor cabinet is not a high enough alcohol concentration to kill the virus. Right. That's there's, it. Yeah. A, there's a lot of really interesting papers. In fact, one of the other um, ER docs who I've been uh, communicating with, um, Mark Jabin, not Mark Raven, um, forwarded me a story where one of the vodka distilleries is has retooled their um, factory and is starting to make hand sanitizer. Um, so they are obviously changing the alcohol concentration for what they're making. And so I think we're going to see more and more of these stories. I heard Anheuser-Busch is changing some of their factory to, to make hand sanitizer. But this is not something you should try to do at home, I think, is the, the point. Whatever it is, I mean, if you have rubbing alcohol or something that is a very high alcohol content. Um, but I would say make sure you're at a reputable scientific website. And, and, and again, like if you're sheltering in place you and hopefully you've got soap and water that's that's what i'm using here at home and, and just keep in mind that if you're sheltering in place and you're not interacting with anyone I, the virus isn't going to spontaneously create sorry oh, Craig, I, I accidentally moved ahead. which of these will not help strengthen your immune system more sleep less smoking less kale less sugar less alcohol i'm sorry greg i thought we were I thought we were done. Oh, well, anyway. I'll, I'll riff on that after this question a little bit. Okay. Three, this is a tricky two, one. Because it's one. As good as kale can be for you, and at times it can be delicious, um, doing these other four things will help your immune system. More sleep, less smoking, less sugar, less alcohol. Greg, can you explain a little bit about why? Absolutely. Um, more sleep, lots of data that shows if you get eight hours of sleep a night, you will optimize your immune system. I like to reference you to a book um, called Why We Sleep. It's a phenomenal read. Obviously, people that smoke are damaging their lungs. There was a lot of data that showed out of China that smokers had much worse outcomes with COVID disease, less sugar. Sugar um, is a um, one of the things that people with diabetes struggle with managing, people with diabetes can't fight off infections. And so the less sugar you can put in your body, the more optimal your immune system is going to work. And then alcohol is another um, is another thing that just suppresses your immune system. In fact, I decided to quit drinking while I was repairing my knee and uh, uh, my ACL just got repaired. Um, and so th those are those are four things that you can do right now that will help you if and when uh, you get COVID. Um, the other last point I wanted to make on the prior slide was that if you are doing a really good job completely isolating yourself and you haven't seen anyone all day and you haven't left the house all day, 
it's still great to wash your hands, but just keep in mind that it's not like COVID is going to spontaneously emerge inside your house without that interaction. So that was the point I was trying to make before we went to the last one. Okay, great. And I apologize in hindsight for the sort of double negative phrasing of this question. I could have said, which will, anyway, um, which of these will not, or anyway, moving on. Time for an update on the leaderboard. Da -da. Eric M added 2,700 points. I'm starting to see how the leaderboard works. We've got Eric M followed by the sea turtle. And the sea turtle sounds like one of the contestants on um, The Masked Singer. All right. Good job, everybody. Moving on. Current science suggests that a coronavirus lives the shortest time on which surface? Plastic, stainless steel, or cardboard? Three surfaces we are likely to come into contact with. Fifteen of you have the correct answer. That is cardboard. Greg? So from the, it looks like there was either a nature or science article out a while back. And then I think the economist also just put something out that my uncle sent me. And uh, um, this is pretty consistent that, that uh, and then the, the, the princess, the cruise line that was out there that had the corona outbreak that I'm blanking on the name of, they did a yeah. bunch of studies on that as well. But it, it looks like it lasts the shortest time on porous surfaces. So of these three items, cardboard is the most porous. And then it looks like it is plastic. And then stainless steel, it looks like it stays the longest on. You'll also hear a little bit about uh, copper. Apparently it does not like copper. And so those are kind of things to think about. We don't really know how long it can stay on a surface where it's still going to infect you. So I think that um, the, the thought being is, if it's probably on cardboard or another porous surface for at least 24 to 48 hours, it's it's not going to be able to infect you. And I'm totally hypothesizing from this. That I haven't read any any science papers that that tell you that. And then obviously that's why we say playground equipment isn't great because you don't know if there was a a kid that was on playground equipment that just you know sneezed or wiped their stunny nose all over the equipment. A lot of that stuff is made out of either steel or plastic. And then if you wipe it. Um, you just you just really have no idea. And so this is the best um, evidence we have at this moment. This is also why we're saying that mail is not thought to be a very high risk activity to do. So what I'm doing is, is we're grabbing the mail. I grab it with a, 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 um, a napkin and then I just let it sit for 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, and then we open it. That's how we're handling it. All right. Thank you. Next question. Getting takeout food from a restaurant should be considered 100% safe, true or false? If anything is considered 100% safe. That should give away the answer. Well, we'll have some discussion about that. As Greg, this was already been shared in the Ask Docs Anything. Everybody got that one right, but Greg, beyond maybe the obvious tip off about the 100%, Getting takeout food is never 100% safe, I guess, if there's risk of food poisoning. But 
Why, why do you discourage people from getting takeout food, even though it's still available in many locations? Yeah, I mean, my thought is this. We're, we're at a, a phase in this pandemic where we need to, the hammer needs to be the strongest. And so you can come up with a pretty easy theoretical situation where someone has COVID, maybe they're symptomatic, maybe they're not. They uh, are preparing the food. They hand you the plastic bag. You grab the plastic bag and then you touch your face. Um, that does not seem like a um, that big of a stretch of a way to be exposed to coronavirus. So I think that my approach would be at this moment to say, no, it is not safe. I think what we're going to learn over time is that restaurants are going to adjust. I think restaurants are going to be able to make it as close to as anything can be 100 percent safe. And I think we're also going to move into a time in the next in the coming weeks where we're going to realize what are the real high value things that we can do and what are the real low value things we can do. So I can imagine a restaurant that has kind of prepared in the in the COVID era and you are in a house that has a bunch of you know younger people that don't have comorbid conditions. That might be a risk profile that you're willing to take. But um, right now, I wouldn't go to a place that isn't prepared for the COVID era and then bring my 95-year-old um, or 85-year-old grandmother um, a uh, takeout food. That would be my approach. All right. Thank you, Greg. And another question coming up. We're about halfway through the quiz. You should stop touching your face because the virus enters through all but what? Your eyes, your skin, your mouth, in your nose, which one of these is not a way the virus generally enters your body? Easier said than done, not touching your face. 20 of you got this one correct, uh, your skin. Uh, so Greg, can you talk about why, um, why this is true? So I'll talk, I think, the, the one person that answered your mouth because um, Theoretically, and, and, and you've, you've read that if the virus gets in your mouth and then you swallow in your into your stomach, you will theoretically not get the illness. And so the, the main kind of routes that we think the virus is being transmitted through are all what we call mucosal membranes. And mucosal membranes are all the membranes on your body that don't feel like regular skin, that feel like the soft skin. So like obviously with your your skin transitions into your lips and into your mouth, it becomes like that soft kind of moist skin. And so you have that in your eyes, you have that in your nose, and you have that in your mouth. And those are kind of like the easiest ways to get into the respiratory tract. Okay, we'll move on. We've got an update on the leaderboard. It's like and kind of walking you through, I'm realizing. It is a neck and neck, yeah, because we see the latest yeah. scores, and Eric M still has a slight lead over, over the sea turtle. All right, next question. You should keep your nanny, housekeeper, or tutor out of your home right now. True or false? If you have a nanny, a housekeeper, or a tutor, True or false, you should keep them out of your home. Everyone has voted. 
19 said true. Um, Greg, if you'd like to talk about some of the rationale behind that. Matt, what the way I would kind of classify this is, do these people have to come into your house right now? And I think all of those people, we could come up with uh, reasons why they do not need to come into your house. And so anytime that you can limit any human interaction, that is going to be a, um, a positive. As we move further into this, into this pandemic, I think there's probably going to be some loosening of this kind of concept. Um, so we'll kind of, this is the answer for now. I'll leave it at this at this level. But a tutor could certainly be done over any kind of video conferencing service or the telephone. And Annie, you're probably at home with your parents, so there's uh, or with your children, so there's less need for it. And with our housekeeper, at least for um, you know these next several weeks, we've just paid them. And um, you know a lot of folks that are housekeepers are going to um, really struggle during this time. And so that's that's kind of been our approach um, um, for the time being. So. And it's nice that you did that, Greg. Um, I don't have an, uh, a nanny or a tutor, but I uh, can't go out for haircuts. And, and I contacted uh, the woman who normally cuts my hair. And since that's money I'm not spending, I, I just went ahead and sent her what I would have normally paid for a haircut. And it's just a little, little show of support. Um, your bigger show of support there, Greg. Thank you. Well, real quick before you go, Mark, oh, you had sorry. another oh, great oh, idea. I, hit, oh, I, I, okay. I clicked next. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, thought, Greg. sorry. Yep, Playdates are okay. True or false? It's okay if our kids are outside, right? True or false? Playdates are okay if our kids are outside. I definitely agree. Our next one, we only need 15 seconds. Yeah. Time's up. 20 said uh, the correct answer, which is false. So, Greg, why are outdoor playdates not a good idea? So anytime two children are touching or within six feet of each other or are playing with the same toy or on the same jungle gym, they have a risk of transmitting the virus. So love to get your kids outside. They just can't play with other kids that are doing physical distancing with other families. So that's the, the quick, easy answer to that. Right. So you'd recommend no coming over to the house indoor playdates as well. Same issue. Correct. Correct. Unfortunately, while, while we're in this intense, physically restricted time, there can't be any kids interacting. We, we've got to get a handle on, on, the, on the curve. And then once we do... I think in, in the weeks to months, we're going to start figuring out what we can and what we can't do. Um, and then the rift that I was going to say before we switched to this question, you had mentioned a great idea, which is to support our, our local restaurants that are really just taking a beating right now. You can always buy a gift card yes, and yeah. they get the money now. And then when they open back up, hopefully in you know the next month or two or three or however long it's going to be, then you can go use it. So that's a great way to support your local um, companies and, and businesses right. that are. Yep. yep. Well, great. And um, I don't have kids, so playdates are not an issue, but I will give an endorsement unsolicited here for virtual happy hours. Let's make the best of a situation like this. I did a virtual happy hour with 12 college friends um, last Thursday and 
one person said, why haven't we been doing this all along? So um, virtual um, can, can be a good way to connect. Kids can do that too. Yeah. Maybe right, not with the alcohol. Right. No, not definitely not. Which form of exercise out of these would be the safest right now? Free weights in a shared gym, playing three-on-three -three basketball, because that, that's less than 10 people, running alone or jogging in groups. I went out for a brisk 50-minute walk uh, this morning, um, kind of on unpopulated streets. Oh, ah, good. Everyone, everyone got this one right, running alone. So playing three-on-three -three basketball was a bit of a trick question, even though it's a group less than 10. Greg, anything else you want to add about why these other things are not as safe? I, 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 don't, I don't think I want to add anything meaningful. I think everyone just nailed this. So. Yeah. You, I will tell you, you had a good idea, Mark, because you said that some of the trails by your house become really populated. So you said you yeah. were kind of going in different neighborhoods or tell us what you were doing. I've been walking instead of through a park that has other people that I can generally stay far enough away from. Um, I've been walking neighborhood streets and exploring different streets I've never even driven down and looking at different houses and architecture. And that's what I've been doing. But Greg, what would you say about jogging in a group where everyone stays six feet apart? I think if you can keep that up, I don't, I don't see any issues with that. I would be surprised that you really could be in a proper group. I, I think maybe one or two other people, as long as y'all are staying away from each other. But I, I can't imagine a group of 20 joggers being able to maintain you know, a, a radius of six feet around every other jogger. So. Right. And, and don't run six feet apart and then hug each other goodbye. It's <laughs> the obvious Excellent statement point. from the engineer, not the doctor. Okay. I'm going to move on, Greg. Please. Okay. We've got a leaderboard update. We're down to about six questions remaining. Uh, Here's the points from the last three questions. Eric M still voices neck and neck with the, the goat named Sea Turtle. <laughs> oh, literally a goat. I, I was like, yeah, the, the image is a goat. The government yeah. currently recommends gathering in groups no larger than 10, 50, I guess we should 100, say or 250. Federal okay. government here. I was going to say we should government. probably have added the word federal, I think. Federal government. Okay. I will update if we run this again. Um, yes. 20, the, the latest recommendation, I believe, is still 10. But, Greg, if you want to elaborate in some states or cities, it's different. Well, I, like you're, I, you're in, I, mm -hmm. I would say I don't Go know ahead. what the exact is. We're doing this at about 12 o'clock on Central Time on March 24th. But I know that just today, I think Travis County, which is Austin, Texas, Harris County, which is Houston, Texas, they both went down into shelter in place. And Mark, you might know, are there maybe 10 to 15 states that are now statewide on this or do you know? What I think so. And, and, and that shelter in place means like don't have a couple over for dinner and six sit six feet apart. That means stay home. I'm going to move on. Next question. About five left, I think. This is getting exciting. If you have a mask, you should wear it only if you're symptomatic. If you go to the grocery store, always when outside your house or on web meetings. Hmm. 
I'm glad we had a little fun with some of these Couple answers. We're trying. Time's up. 17 people had the correct uh, No, actually. Yeah, that's right. See, I was wrong on this one. So, Greg, why, why do you say you should wear a mask if you go to the grocery store, even if you're not symptomatic? What are your thoughts? So, I mean, it, it looks like all of uh, the things I'm reading from China and Hong Kong and Singapore is that they are they are very pro mask. They really feel like it decreases the amount of virus that you are um, either getting in contact with or um, releasing. So, so what do I mean by this? If you're out there and you touch virus and then you touch your face, you are exposing yourself, and then vice versa. And so. We intentionally didn't say surgical mask here. We just said a mask. So I think this is a great time to be creative. And I think until we get a little bit more information on exactly how you can do this, just put any kind of any kind of barrier is better than no kind of barrier. This is this is 100% not where I would um, be using a ton of surgical masks that our healthcare people need. This is, I think, where I would start being a little bit more creative. Someone just sent me a a text of. Um, a, a mask that, that this person created out of um, things that he had in his uh, garage that took like three minutes and was super simple. And so I think that's the thought process I have right now. Um, but I, I do want to appeal that if you have surgical masks or N95 masks that healthcare professionals can utilize, um, please don't, don't use those. If you've already used one, just keep reusing the same one. Remember, which is the outside of it. The color should go outside. Don't touch the color. Um, um, only use the loops. I think trying to use a little bit of common sense here. But um, did, did that kind of help clarify things there, Mark? I, well, I think so. But I think the other thing um, is, is that people, as a reminder, um, the reason we didn't say you should only wear a mask if you're symptomatic is, A, you want to prevent virus coming in if possible. And then it's also possible, again, if someone's asymptomatic, they can still be spreading virus, right? Yep. And if you're symptomatic and someone else isn't in your household, then you should be, if you have a cold right now, you should um, consider it to be COVID. You should be self-isolating from the rest of your family. There's pretty good data that if one person has COVID in a household, there's a pretty good chance the rest of the people don't have to get it if you keep yourself in your own room with your own bathroom, have them bring you food um, or bring them food and then have an asymptomatic person go out. So these are 100 percent Greg Jacobson's approach on, on this. So, OK. And uh, OK, so we've got four questions left. We're actually doing pretty good on time. We might be able to take um, a couple of additional questions at the end. True or false, pregnant women are more at risk of a severe illness from coronavirus. True or false? Do, 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 do. Okay, everybody has voted. At least that ends the voting sooner. 13 people have the correct answer, which is false, Greg. Um, unless something's come out in the last 24 hours, everything I've heard and read about um, pregnancy and coronavirus uh, suggests that they pregnant people do not have worse outcomes when they get COVID-19 or when they have COVID-19. And so the theoretical concern whenever you're talking about an infectious disease and pregnancy is that 
when the uh, when a female is pregnant, there has to be a suppression of the immune system so the female's body doesn't attack the baby. And so because of that kind of physiologic and biologic response that has to happen, there is um, an increased risk with infections that pregnant people will have worse outcomes with those illnesses. But so far, what we're seeing is that that is not the case with COVID. All right, thank you. Uh, I think we've got one leaderboard update before we get into the last three questions. Here we go. Looks like Eric M is extending his lead. Mike is really kind of moving up the ranks up to fifth place. Nicholas has moved up to second place. We've got three more questions though. It could be go. anybody's twin. Last three questions, true or false? Only the elderly, 70 plus, can get seriously ill or die from COVID-19. Those votes came in pretty quickly. I think word has gotten out about this one. This is great. Everyone got the correct answer. That is false. It is more than the elderly who can get seriously ill or die. Greg, do you have anything else to add on that sobering it's, thought? It's really tricky for our minds to take a mortality rate and then try to apply that to an individual. And so what do I mean by that? So if you have a, let's say you're going to have a, an operation and there's a 5% mortality for this operation, which would be really high, but let's just use it for some example. Um, if you have the operation, you're either going to have a 100% chance to live or a 0% chance to die, right? You're, you can't like kill 5% yeah. of your body. So when we're thinking about populations, it's true that the younger you are, statistically speaking, the lower the chance you have to have a bad outcome. But when you're looking at an individual, we've already heard lots of stories about people that are you know, less than 50 years of age, less than 60 years of age, less than 40 years of age, less than three, 30 years of age, less than 20 years of age, getting really sick with COVID, needing to go to the hospital, some of them needing to be on a ventilator, and then some of them needing to be on a machine called an ECMO machine, which is like a a ventilator on steroids is a way to a way to think of it. So um, there is no question that um, this this really argues why also flattening the curve and increasing us to have more time will give the healthcare community more time to figure out strategies on well, what are the best combination of drugs? Do we have any combination of drugs that we can give? And obviously, the more time we have, the more time we have to to develop a vaccine. So, all right. Two more questions. Which of the following would not give you a higher mortality rate with COVID-19? Cardiovascular disease, diabetes, glaucoma, congestive heart failure, or in the immunosuppressed state? That's easier for a doctor to say. Which of these would not give you a higher mortality rate? We got 19 correct answers. Uh, glaucoma, high pressure in uh, your eyes. Not, I will uh, say. Yes. So, Greg, go ahead. 
I will simply state that I'm not a glaucoma or an eye expert, but Mark and I tried to come up with a disease that neither of us had read or could think of any reason would make you have a higher mortality rate. Certainly, um, cardiovascular disease, if you, uh, cardiovascular disease is just the, the, the catch-all phrase for if you have heart attacks would be the easiest way to think about it. And then um, people with diabetes have compromised uh, um, abilities to fight infections. And so certainly diabetes, congestive heart failure, those people are more at risk for their heart um, not pumping blood well enough when they get sick. So that fluid backs up in the lung, which is just going to make the whole COVID illness worse. And then an immunosuppressed state. So we, we kind of talk about that and just throw it out there. But what that really means is, are you on chemo um, for a cancer? Do you have some kind of uh, you know disease that affects your immune system in general? Has your spleen been removed? People um, with their, don't have spleens are at, at risk for certain kinds of infections. And um, those are the big ones for immunosuppressed state. I'm thinking, oh, obviously, if you had, you know, severe HIV, if, if you if you were in the AIDS um, um, spectrum of that, you would have an immunocompromised state. So typically people that have immunocompromised states know they have immunocompromised states, yeah. are engaging with doctors, um, and those doctors have told them you are immunocompromised. They've been told, oh, you should take, you know, an antibiotic when you go to the to the dentist or there, there's something you, you're not probably um, in a situation where your doctor or your medical professionals know you're immunocompromised, but have it outwardly told you you're not immunocompromised, yeah. if that makes sense. So I have, uh, I have uh, one, one of my friends who was on that happy hour uh, had a kidney transplant and she knows she is uh, immunocompromised because of the medications she's, Any she person, has to take. Yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a big category. Thank you, Mark. All right, so we're going into the, I think this is the final question. I don't think we have a leader. Oh, we have one final leaderboard check before the final question. Okay, here we go. Thank you, Eric M. I think maintains about a 1,300 point lead. That might be insurmountable. Nicholas and C. Turtle are in an exact tie for second place, though. What are the odds of that? All right, so we are going into our last question. question. It's predicted we will have a vaccine within what time frame? One week, one month, two months, six to nine months, or one to two years? Those answers came in very quickly. 17 of you got the correct answer, one to two years. Um, Greg, can you, can you talk about that and um, you know, maybe add a little bit more about the role a vaccine would play, the importance of that? Absolutely. So most things that I've read that seem credible on this say that this is going to be a 12 to 18 month process. Now, I know that at least five people voted on the six to nine months, and I think that they're speaking to the fact that the government is uh, really expediting trials um, through, they've already uh, been through a phase one trial, and there is some applicability to vaccines that have been created for, for animals, um, and um, maybe they could be applied to humans. So um, I, I, think, I think we put this question in here for us to think that 
that it's it's really going to be in months to years that we're going to get this vaccine. This is not a week around the corner. I think that's probably the take home. Probably doesn't matter if you pick six to nine or one to two. That's probably not the important thing. Once we have a vaccine, um, it, it it's probably going to behave a lot like the flu. Um, so the flu, it, it, it mutates and changes um, every year. And then we have to get a new vaccine. Um, corona does have uh, the um, characteristics to do that. So um, it may end up being that in the future, we are going to be getting your your corona and your influenza vaccines at the same time. But that will certainly at a minimum, help decrease the severity of the illness once we have it, or it will you know, make you where you have zero chance of getting it if, if they get the vaccine completely right. But that's the concept behind vaccines. All right. And uh, we, we have a little bit of time here, so we're going to do a couple final announcements. We're going to reveal our winner. And I would encourage you, if you have some other questions, go ahead and submit them through the question box in the GoToWebinar uh, control panel. So here we go. This is a big reveal. The last couple of questions. It's Eric M. Congratulations. Hey, I haven't seen this animation yet for uh, what the winner looks like. Um, Eric M., I know I didn't offer a prize, but if, uh, you, if you want to email me, mark at kinexus.com, uh, I assume Eric M. is uh, your real name, um, send me an email. I'm going to send you uh, an electronic copy of uh, a book um, as, um, as, as a prize. An electronic book seems like the safest prize in this day and age. So, uh, congratulations, Eric, and um, thank you to everybody for participating. Um, do want to remind you, um, the Kinexus website, as Greg mentioned, there are a lot of blog posts. We've done a couple of Ask Us Anything sessions with um, doctors. Um, you can find all of this, kind of the central location is at kinexus.com slash COVID-19 resources. Um, I'll, I'll leave that on screen for a minute. So we've got a couple of questions. Okay, that this was great, fun and informative. Thank you. Um, Greg, here's a question. What do you think is the estimated time to find an effective treatment, not a vaccine? Well, I, I think it's going to depend on um, a little bit of uh, luck and uh, just kind of testing and whatnot. Um, there is some, some uh, preliminary data that's coming out right now that um, chloroquine combined with azithromycin seems to be working well. I, I, I hesitate even saying it because there's a, a paper of, I think, you know, less than 20 patients from France, and this is all anecdotal evidence. If you spend any time in the, the medical community, you'll, you know that, oh, one year we thought this really worked, and then they do a, a really you know, good controlled study and it finds out it doesn't work or it finds out that it even causes more damage. Um, so I think that it's, it's really hard to know, but, but we could be already figuring out um, a treatment that might decrease um, people's mortality rate with this or, or increase the speed to um, um, their, their recovery time as well. So it's really hard to predict that. 
Yeah, and I mean, I saw an article. I mean, again, I think the advice of call your doctor before taking any medication. There are stories of people um, getting medications. There was somebody who died from taking something that was similar to the first medication that you mentioned that caused a heart attack. Um, so I think you know, we'll caution people. Um, oh, don't, yeah. don't, you know, uh, don't, don't, uh, you know, just be, be careful. Yeah, this is a day and age where um, snake oil and all kinds of things will be um, will be peddled, right? Yeah, thank thank you, Mark. I mean, that's a a great point to make. It didn't even cross my mind. You should one hundred percent not doing this um, if you are um, if you have mild illness and you're not doing this in conjunction with your physician. In my opinion, I mean, to me, if you are getting treatment, this means that you are in the hospital and you're needing at a minimum oxygen, and it looks like you're getting worse. And they're trying, and, and you have comorbid. Um, if I, if, if you know, God forbid, I get COVID um, and I have mild symptoms, I'm just going to go for my Tylenol. And uh, if they have more information about ibuprofen by then, I, I might might add ibuprofen. But um, that would be my take. I, I wouldn't even at this point, if you're having a mild disease, my me personally, I would rather not take anything. I'd rather the data all come out because. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've read theoretical papers on that ibuprofen actually could help this illness. And then we've heard that it could hurt this illness. So just in this time where we're, we're, we're a lot of the papers that we're reading, they're not peer reviewed. They're not um, published in a journal. All those steps that, that go through those kind of quality controls um, is going to probably tease out a lot of the stuff that, that ends up not being true. So um, this is 100% done in conjunction with you're in the hospital and or, and or um, you know, at, in the ICU kind of scenario. Thank you for saying that, Mark. Okay, sure thing. Um, we got a, a comment, just wanna thank you for this. You have no idea how helpful this is considering all the crazy information out there. Thanks. Um, there's one other question. I'm not sure if we know the answer to this. Um, what, what do you know about the virus living on asphalt? Do we need to be concerned we're walking around or? Oh, or, oh, I was like, are you licking asphalt? I, I, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, if it gets on yeah. your shoes and you track it into sure. your home. You know, I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's, I guess, I don't know anything specific. I, I guess if you're concerned, just take your shoes off when you walk in the house. Um, I mean, presumably you're, you're not eating on the floor. Um, yeah, interesting question. I, that seems more theoretical, I guess. It, sure. We've been taking off our shoes the last week because it's been raining a lot here in Austin. Um, so just take, yeah, I guess well, take off your that's, shoes. That's a, help, that's a helpful tip if you want to say take yeah. your shoes off. There's little um, disadvantage and you'll probably have to clean less. So Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, from all of our conversations, maybe as a final point, Greg, um, one thing that's come up a lot in these sessions are like there are there are a lot of things that we could do that certainly won't hurt. Taking your shoes right. off at the door won't hurt, so why why not, right? Right, right. Uh, taking a, uh, a a drug that has a very low therapeutic range, <laughs> like chloroquine, where if you take just a little mm -hmm. bit too much of it, you die. Um, that would be something I wouldn't do. But I completely agree. If someone says, "Oh, this is what I'm doing," it kind of makes sense. I mean, that's like the same thing, like wearing a bandana as a mask or something. I mean, there doesn't appear to be any disadvantage of doing that and there's a theoretical advantage so that's kind of yeah. the way i approach when someone says you should do this i mean if someone said oh sure. you should jump on your left leg 10 times i would say okay well, that, well I, there's yeah. no logical medical reason why that would help but 
Um, so with, with, with two more questions come in, actually, um, okay. are, people with as, are people with asthma at higher risk than the average population? My understanding is anyone with lung disease is at, is at higher risk. Um, so I think the, the easiest answer to that is yes. I'm sure we're going to um, have lots of detailed papers in the next six to nine months after this kind of first wave. So if, if, I, if I had asthma, uh, then I would try to do extra measures to isolate myself further. Um, I saw a patient uh, yesterday, uh, he didn't have asthma, but his wife had asthma who was more ill. And I ended up just talking to her on the phone because I, I just wanted to see if she was okay. Come to find out, well, yeah, she has asthma, but she had it when she was a kid. She hasn't taken medications for 25 years, never been hospitalized with it. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess technically on your problem list, you have, you know, history of childhood asthma. That feels a lot different than, you know, I, I'm an adult. I've had, you know, I'm on maximal therapy. I've been to the ER three times this year. I've been hospitalized. I've been on a ventilator before. That That's a very different kind of person to me. So if mm -hmm. I... If I was taking active asthma medications and had active disease, then I would I'd be I'd be much more careful. Okay, and then these two questions, I think we we can go a little bit past the top of the hour, but they, these are related, so I'll just read them together. Uh, first question: Do people who had COVID develop immunity to it, or can it repeat? Second question is: Are they working on a way to determine if somebody had it and recovered without ever seeking medical attention? Um, the first question is, we don't know. Um, most of viruses do confer some immunity or resistance to future um, re-exposure and disease. Um, we have heard reports that people have gotten it a second time. I listened to a really good emergency medicine lecture um, on MRAP, if you are an ER doctor, you know about MRAP. They've done a couple of these uh, COVID lectures, one last week and one this past week or something like that. And they, the person that was a lot smarter than me postulated that those were probably um, not true and there were probably sampling errors or collection errors of some sort. But um, I would, in my mind, be thinking that it does not confer you know, future immunity um, at this point. But my gut feeling is that it probably will confer some. We just don't know how how good it will be and how long it will last. And then what was the second question? Well, will there be a way of knowing if there's oh, um, if, sure. if you've yeah. previously had it? Yeah. Yeah. I think right now everyone's working on the PCR um, testing, which tells you if you have active virus in your body, but um, or in your nasal mucosa, the, the areas that they're sampling. Um, and, uh, but certainly I, I can't imagine that we won't have, um, kind of COVID titers types of things where we're measuring your antibody response. So your body is, you know, as soon as you get exposed, it starts building, um, kind of the, the fighter mechanisms in those we can, we can measure down the line. So I'm sure we'll have titers. I haven't heard of anything, but it's not my area of expertise. Okay. Um, I had another question here. Is it realistic to think it would be safe to discontinue social distancing by mid-April? Um, I don't think so. I think the quicker the hammer comes down and the more stringent it is, the quicker we're going to be able to release. I think what people don't realize is, is that the longer we draw this out, the longer it's going to be before we can start kind of 
figuring out what restrictions can be lifted. And so um, I think a lot of this is going to depend on what is the ultimate kind of virus burden, if you will, in a community. And it's going to depend on what is the um, kind of health characteristics of the community and what is the healthcare capacity of the community. Um, I, so I, the way I'm thinking of it now is that if you, if you haven't read the article that talks about the hammer and the dance, the hammer is like, if we can get total lockdown really, really quickly and get control of the curve, then we can start moving into a phase where we're, where we're lifting restrictions. Um, and so um, it, the quicker we can get to that point, I think the actual, the, the better it will be for the economy in the long run. It's going to be what I write about tomorrow. Um, what we've kind of been thinking about this as a binary thought process that if we do lockdown, that hurts the economy. And if we help the economy, that hurts the lockdown. I don't think this is a binary thought process at all. I think the idea would be is if we do the lockdown quick and hard, then we can get out of the lockdown much quicker and it'll actually be better for the economy in the long run. Um, I mean, I kind of ran a, 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 a theoretical thought process, uh, thought experiment, if you will. If we had an, a way to test every single human in the world right this very second, and we knew whether or not they had COVID illness right now, which is obviously an impossibility, but if we did, then we would, we would know who to isolate, and yeah. we would know who doesn't need to be isolated, and then this could be over in two or three weeks. So can't lock everyone down and we don't have the answer. So, you know, but that's kind of the idea. So is, is it fair to say that we should all be behaving in a way as, as if we had it, we should just assume we're an asymptomatic carrier of the virus and are shedding it. That should inform some of our decisions and our behaviors, right? I think that's the easiest way to think of it, Mark. And, and I think someone mentioned that to me last week. I've like, they said, I've stopped thinking I'm trying to do things to prevent from getting it. And I've started thinking I'm trying to do things to prevent from giving it to other people. And right. so if we all kind of made the self, if all 350 Americans and, you know, 8 billion people in the world um, were, were to kind of self-impose a very strict um, uh, distancing, then uh, it would basically be the same as, as the government doing it. So, uh, and it will, unquestionably um, be a benefit to um, humanity at large, in my opinion. And not so just my opinion, in, in, in most <laughs> epidemiologic and, and healthcare professionals' opinions. So, Okay. I need to give longer pauses because when I think Greg is, or, <laughs> or I need to wait longer because, uh, okay, sorry. Sorry to jump in on you, Greg. Um, I did post a link uh, in the chat box to this article called Coronavirus, the Hammer and the Dance. It's a long read. It's a really, really um, good explanation of the, of the public health dynamic here. So that, that's all for the questions. Um, Greg, you'll get a, a kick out of this. Um, our friend Simon, if you're still on, he posted a comment, and this will be maybe one to end on. I'll, I'll give you the last word, though, Greg. But uh, thank you um, to Simon and everybody else who, who came. Uh, Simon said, this has been super informative and fun. Thank you so much for doing it. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to the kind next one. Ah, oh, very nice. Oh. Thank you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Simon. He, 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 that's, uh, he stole the thunder from Greg's usual 
sign off. But um, but but Greg, uh, I'll give you the last word here. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, stay safe, stay stay emotionally connected and physically distant, and we will see you kind next time.